A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to episode four of What's the Crack? I'm Elle Wadsworth and I'm joined with Lindsay Hines and Amir England. Hi. Hello. Yeah, and we're researchers from the National Addiction Centre, King's College, London. Rob's away on holiday for the next two episodes, so we're all going to cry. Um, so we're going to have uh, guests joining us for the next two. And this week's guest is Amir. Amir, give me one sentence pitch. What do you do? Right. I study the effects of cannabis compounds in healthy volunteers and some patient populations. Awesome. So today's episode is on cannabis legalisation. We will begin with a brief introduction, but it will be mainly an open discussion about all the different factors to consider in the legalisation debate, such as psychosis or THC levels. We're going to take the evidence from the research field and we're going to apply that to uh, the cannabis legalisation debate. So hopefully giving a fresh approach. I will point out now that in this episode we'll be focusing on recreational cannabis use and not medical use. But to start with, Amir, can you tell us a bit more about cannabis as a whole? Cannabis is a plant and cannabis is usually dried and put into cigarettes or baked into cakes, etc. and then consumed. Um, The main active component of cannabis is delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC for short, And the second most common is cannabidiol, CBD. And there are uh, a lot of other interesting cannabinoid compounds, which I won't have time to talk about. Um, But THC and CBD are the most important ones. THC is responsible for the intoxicating effects of cannabis. And also, if taken too much, can also cause a bit of anxiety or some strange experiences such as paranoia or psychotic-like experiences. The more THC you get, usually the more your memory gets impaired. Now, CBD, on the other hand, is non-intoxicating. If you give a person a massive dose of CBD, they won't feel any different. 
Okay, so I'll just give a brief uh, introduction into cannabis legalization. So it's frequently in the news due to laws changing around the world. For example, eight states now in the US are currently have got legalized recreational use, even though it does remain illegal at a federal level. And Canada are moving to legalized recreational use next year. So in Canada, it will be legal everywhere. But in yeah. America, because they have more of a state system, they can make individual state laws. But it's, you know, Donald Trump still has it as illegal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So okay. it's like one of, it's the second now entire country to have legalized it after Uruguay in two, back in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and the UK as well have been on the bandwagon of all the media hype because um, the Treasury last year outlined, their, uh, outlined their, the financial outcomes of a regulated market. And the Times newspaper and the British Medical Journal also called for a change in our current laws. Pretty big if the British Medical Journal are calling for it. I know. Because they're all doctors... Up. Like all doctors in the UK, basically. Exactly. The, yeah. the, big, the big dogs are saying that, yeah, this needs to change. Mm. Yeah. But um, yeah, legislation as a whole is like so varied around the world. So I'm going to quickly discuss the different stages of cannabis uh, legislation so that we're all on the same page, everyone listening. Um, so generally when the media discuss cannabis legislation, they're talking about a dichotomous choice. So either prohibition, uh, where personal use and supply is illegal, or legalization, where it's not. Uh, but there are so many options in between. So and at the more restrictive ends, such as prohibition, uh, it then moves on to de facto prohibition, where the law still stands and you can still go to jail for possession or supply, uh, but it's either ignored or just not clamped down on as hard as other drugs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and so this is what they've started doing in Durham in mm. the UK at the moment. So whereas in the UK, cannabis is illegal, you can go to prison for supply or buying it, in Durham, which is a county of England, the police force there have decided to kind of, as a policy, turn a blind eye to cannabis use, and that's to save their resources yeah. um, and things like that. Um, yeah, and then I guess moving on to cr- decriminalisation, where possession's not an offence, but apply st- uh, supply still is. Um, so you can own it, but if you're selling it, you'll go to prison. Yeah, so it's up to a certain point. You can own a, a certain amount that would be classed as personal use, but as soon as you get over that, it's like with intent to supply. Um, there's also personal cultivation, where you can grow your own plants at home, but again, it's up to a certain limit. But, so okay, so it would be a system where you kind of just grow it in your garden, but it's really mm. just you and your friends. You're yeah. not growing on a large scale. So yeah, exactly. personal cultivation. Personal cultivation, okay. yes. Um, so, yeah, so I guess moving even further away from that, um, you've got regulation where it's government-run and um, specific retailers uh, stock the cannabis. So it's legal, but it's standardised and very strictly run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And does the government... And the government produces it. So the government's in charge of supply, mm. sales... And like you're saying, it's quite a limited system. So it's not that it's for sale in every shop, but just certain places. Okay. And arguably wonderful for data collection. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm sold. Exactly. The scientists out there are just loving life with the regulation. (laughs) Um, And I guess then on the right end of the other scale is commercialization, such as, I guess, how alcohols run. It is an open market. It's free. You know, companies are free to make and sell it. And advertising is there so I guess you there is a whole stream of choices and there's a lot in between all with positives and negatives um thoughts about any of this our academic team (laughs) (laughs) obviously you're also an academic Hmm. great um yeah so I think uh one of the first things I want to say is that cannabis um people often play down the harms of cannabis so if any research comes out where 
there's a negative implication for cannabis. There's a lot of kind of um, sometimes attempts to discredit it. These are things which I see. And I think that we should acknowledge that cannabis is a drug that isn't harmless. I mean, I can't think of many substances that aren't harmless. Um, you know, even if we're talking about sugar, we'd be able to talk about, you know, the n- many health harms that that has. Which so, is also horrendously in the media all the time. Horrendously in the media, <laughs> but never going to be covered in this podcast. No. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so cannabis does, uh, is an addictive substance. So it comes with a dependent syndrome. Um, and I think that people often don't think of cannabis as being addictive because you don't get the withdrawal that you think of with uh, things like heroin, um, cocaine, things like that. But despite that, people can form a psychological addiction to it. So they become, uh, they start prioritising their cannabis use over their relationships, their jobs, um, their life begins to suffer, their health begins to suffer. And this is something that we see in about 10, 15% of people who are regularly using cannabis. Um, so I think that that's uh, you know, always something that we need to consider when we're talking about uh, whether we're going to change the law on it. Mm-hmm. And then there are also links, of course, to psychosis. So I think this is one of the biggest concerns that people have about cannabis, that it might cause schizophrenia. Um, but I don't know, Amir, this is more your area. I mean, do you think that... Uh, you know, do you think that cannabis does cause schizophrenia? Ooh. Big question. That's such a big question. <laughs> nice first question to easily start me in. Just thanks. warm you up a little bit. Thanks, thanks for that. Um, it's a really tough question to just answer yes or no to because honestly, we're not completely sure. There's been a whole bunch of studies done, mostly observational. So you do like big studies of the population, you check who's been using cannabis and who hasn't, and out of those people, how many developed a psychotic illness and and did not. And then you compare the rates. So usually, most studies to date have found that the people who do use cannabis or did use cannabis have a higher incidence rate, meaning that among that population, more people will have a diagnosis of a psychotic illness eventually. Um, But that's not to say that cannabis caused it, because it could be what we call reverse causation, that people with a liability towards um, a psychotic illness, for whatever reasons within their genes or their social environment, are at higher likelihood of smoking cannabis. Or there might be underlying factors which kind of push both things. So there, there are some studies that actually seems to suggest that risk genes drive both cannabis use and psychotic symptoms and disorders. So it, it's by no means a clear picture that we have, mm. but the, the link is there. So I think it, it's a good stance to take on a kind of a risk-averse way to say there might be a risk, so let's consider that and take it into account while mm. still considering the possibility that the, uh, the connection might not be causal. Mm. So is there some cases where it's like, psychosis is first then uh, then the cannabis second and cannabis first and then psychosis second is that what you're saying with the reversal thing yes do yeah right. so it's difficult to in some study designs it's difficult to figure out right, which okay. came first or it might be that someone who has is starting to experience psychotic symptoms uh you know that kind of encourages them maybe that might encourage them to start using cannabis to start medicating it away yeah and psychosis is not a clear-cut thing always it's not that you're you're completely yourself and then all of a sudden there's a massive change so it's really difficult to exactly pinpoint when what happens 
Yeah, and for me, there's something uh, like move, just thinking about addiction as well. It's a similar thing that you couldn't say that just starting to use cannabis, like someone uses cannabis once and then they become addicted. There are things in their context and which are going on around them which are also going to raise their risk of addiction. And so whilst you do have to consider the risk of addiction amongst people, it's not going to be just the cannabis itself. It's going to be the social factors and their background uh, around them, which are also going to be risking increasing their risk of addiction, and also isn't there the um, something with the element of um, having skunk versus uh, tr- what people would say traditional weed that people were talking about what twenty years ago? Well, first of all, what's the difference between skunk and classic weed, Amir? Right. So, skunk is a is a term that uh, the the cannabis using community actually hates. So we shouldn't really use it. Mm. For, for their sake. But essentially what we mean by skunk, high potency cannabis rather, uh, is a female cannabis plant that's been uh, denied pollination. So it's not been allowed to pollen get pollen from a male cannabis plant, which then kicks off a s- production of seeds. The production of seeds costs the, the plant a lot of energy. So rather than producing more cannabinoids, the active components of the plant the drug it starts using the energy to making more seeds so i guess like alcohol cannabis can come in different strengths so like you've got your weaker alcohol like a shandy that's like a very low potency hash hash. and then you know it goes you know you get stronger and stronger alcohol then you've got like your vodka which is what 40 50 percent proof that would be kind of the stronger end of it so it's a similar comparison to that what do we call skunk then if we can't call it skunk High potency cannabis. Okay, catchy. So H- <laughs> HPC. Go you for know, that. To, HPC to for HPC. the THC. <laughs> HPC of THC. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. very good. Yeah. Let's start using that. So, uh, so do you think that the HPC HPC is what's maybe, I guess, bringing issues with the legalization argument because it's it is a high, more high potency. So there is, uh, are there more issues with high potency cannabis than without? Yes. Mm. Well, the the easy answer is yes. Yeah. And I think the argument is being used by both sides. Okay. So the people who are for legalization will say that, look at what's happened to cannabis during prohibition. Mm. While the opponents will say, look at the state of cannabis. How can <laughs> we legalize it now? Mm. Um just quickly, uh, what the newer studies of this higher potency variety have found is that uh, rates of psychosis is higher in those who use the high potency compared to the traditional. Mm. So there was a study from 2005 that looked at you know, the, the hash that we have in the UK. So the hash in the UK, at least back in the time when this study was done, was quite different in that it had quite low potency of THC, so about 4%, and also about 4% of CBD. Mm. Uh, And that was compared to the high-potency cannabis that has about 14% on average. And they found that the hash didn't increase your risk of psychosis, while the risk was several-fold increased for the high-potency cannabis. Now, we don't know if it's the lower THC that's doing it or if it's the addition of CBD mm. for instance so CBD the cannabidiol could be protect 
protective against schizophrenia? Yes. And psychosis? Yes. Okay. So our own group has done some cannabis experiments and healthy volunteers. So one that we did, we gave healthy volunteers quite a big dose of THC intravenously. It's what we would probably find in an in a whole joint of quite strong cannabis. Okay. So it's like giving someone one really strong joint straight into their veins, straight into their bloodstream. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boom. <laughs> Boom. So it it mimics the smoked procedure quite well. Um, so quite a high dose. And what we saw is that around 42% of these healthy volunteers experienced some kind Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Kind of low-level but still psychotic-like experiences a paranoia they got a bit suspicious of us about the environment they were in some grandiose ideas they thought they were having these fascinating you know insightful ideas while under the influence were they they fascinating well who's to judge what's fascinating and not well no that's true (laughs) but once the drug had worn off they weren't fascinating anymore (laughs) to themselves yeah now half of this population also so half of the participant had to well they got a tablet to cannabidiol before they got the injection while the other group got a placebo tablet now in the group that got the cbd we only saw 14 percent getting these psychotic like features Mm. none got paranoid and the memory impairment that we saw from just THC on its own wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So in in acute settings, we know that CBD can block some of these acute harms from mm. THC. Now that's interesting. Mm. So I there's know, definitely an argument to keep CBD in. Yeah, so for keeping that. But I know it doesn't... Mm. I know they've been trying some... They looked at something similar at UCL, um, which was looking <laughs> at motivation... Um, and cannabis and they were trying um, different potencies of cannabis and they found that whilst cannabis affects motivation acutely so they didn't find it in the long term but THC and CBD uh, proportions didn't have an effect on that so I guess it's not you know it's not working on everything but on psychosis which is something that everyone's so worried about then it seems like a promising avenue yeah and that is like you were saying that is one of the arguments for legalization because if uh, you know we were having a, a system where it wasn't just 
anyone who wants to illegally have their go at getting into the cannabis market, if we had a system where the government was producing it or licensed people were producing it, we could say there can only be this much THC uh, in each joint. They can put in a minimum amount of CBD if this stuff is looking promising. And it could, from what the emerging evidence is around THC and CBD proportions, it could make it a drug which doesn't increase risk of psychosis as much. Canada are legalizing recreational use of cannabis and one of the like aims that they were going to do is to put tax levels based on potency. Um, so this would like encourage the development of lower potency strains. Mm. Yeah, and so it would make it so if it was stronger, you'd mm. have to pay more. Yeah. And so presumably that would discourage use of the stronger cannabis. Mm. 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 Yeah. But, but the potency issue with regards to the legalization debate is quite interesting and can be looked at from two different angles I think so one is that um, uh, an unregulated black market will pander to their user population Mm -hmm. and what we kind of know is that around 70 to about 80 percent of all the cannabis that's being bought is being bought by a roughly 10-15 percent minority of all users Mm -hmm. so these are really heavy users and they're buying most of the cannabis And the really heavy users will develop tolerance to the drug as with most other drugs. So the same joint is not going to kick them as hard if they've been using uh, for a few years, for instance. So the, the black market's kind of gone that direction, probably because that's what they're selling the most of. On the other side of things, you've got America, where you have the the legal recreational market and uh, the medicinal market you now have really you have a lot of high potency cannabis varieties but you also have concentrates like butane hash oil for instance dabs they're also known and you can get really really high potency on those products about 60 to 80 percent thc for instance it's quite high in the edibles as well isn't it yeah well um the you usually see doses on the edible so you don't right. see that um, it's this and that percentage but it's that one piece of chocolate contains 40 50 milligrams of thc but so the market in america then is selling these very strong edibles these very strong uh i've forgotten what the word that you used was the uh, uh butane the hash oil butane hash oil and so the argument usually of reformers is that if we had a legal market we would be able to combat this very high strength yeah. stuff but then in america where they've got this legal market that hasn't happened they're actually producing very high strength but products still the commercialization versus regulation argument though the fact that i think that america's got the more commercialized market and the fact that they are allowed to advertise they are allowed to open their own shops mm-hmm. um you know a cannabis focus shops whereas if it was regulation it would be yeah, I guess standardised, and there would be caps, or, you know... Or there could be. Or there could be mm-hmm. caps, yeah. Let's not forget as well that America quite a unique mm. country in terms of their, their politics and their policies, usually. So profit and private enterprise is highly praised, while government intervention is not in America. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. that's quite an important context when yeah. thinking about cannabis legalisation... So it, the context shouldn't be uh, ignored, I think. Yeah, because yeah. I, I guess like you're saying, Elle, it can look so different. Like when people talk about legalisation or prohibition, as you said earlier, there are so many different options that yeah. they can have. And the system that they've got in America 
it to me it feels like the early days of tobacco when they've got advertising it's not a very regulated system people are you know and they're kind everyone's of everyone's excited to make money everyone's excited to make money and obviously part of that system comes off it comes from pulling in new users and uh, new people to sell to which is something that i uh, you know i would probably be against as i would be against as an addictions researcher <laughs> trying to pull in loads of new cannabis putting users your in yeah putting your stance in just take that i think about it yeah against this um, is going to be on the internet forever yeah that's fine. so <laughs> i'm gonna say i'd rather people didn't try and pull in loads of new cannabis users but then when they look at what's happening in america at the moment some research came out um recently um showing that between 2002 and 2012 and like the number of people using cannabis and experiencing cannabis use disorders had doubled and obviously 2012 is would you say that's around the time that they started bringing in yeah, li- was Washington the policy and change Colorado came yeah. in 2012 but um so that kind of that seems bad that seems like law changes putting in lots of new users but then other researchers come out suggesting that actually if you look at different measures so measures where people are just kind of quietly reporting themselves rather than being interviewed by someone the rates have actually stayed the same and it might be that actually it's just the attitudes are changing in America and people now feel more comfortable about saying yeah I do use cannabis so it's kind of it's quite difficult for us at the moment to get it the whether how what, what effect this is having on people's use and whether the people who are using cannabis now are just the people who would have before or whether it's pulling in you know huge new swathes of the market because these change in attitudes is making it more acceptable for people to talk about what they're doing. Yeah, and you've mm. also got the, like, it's, I don't know how big the factor is, but the novelty factor of the fact that now it's legal, it's just like, oh, well, I'll try it now. Mm. And uh, I don't know, I think, you know, the spike may be introduced for that and may level off again. Yeah. Another angle to also consider is the criminal justice effects of prohibition. Mm. I mean, if we look at the research that we have on the harms of cannabis, there's... Uh, a mass loads and loads of studies done on looking at the harms of these outcomes from cannabis use but comparatively few if any studies looking at what risks of prohibition there are so are there risks related to getting caught with cannabis that would over and above the risk of you know addiction or psychosis we we really don't know Mm-hmm. And um, we we do know that in countries such as the States and here in the UK, people are disproportionately being charged with cannabis offensive based on ethnicity, for instance. And I guess that brings in issues with um, de facto um, prohibition and the fact that you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll just loosen it up. But then you then give the choice to stop it you know arrest somebody because the law is still there so you can part of the trouble with talking about cannabis legalization and health and you know cannabis use and cannabis policy change is that it's so difficult to predict what is going to happen with every policy option and it's difficult you know like you're saying with cbd and thc it's possible that if we limit the amount of thc in what's given to people then the people who want the higher strength stuff are still going to be going into the black market and still using illegal options. And like in America, we don't know if use is going to massively increase or if it's going to stay much the same. And it's so difficult because it's not just one thing, whether or not it's legal or illegal or decriminalized or anything in between, that decides how 
much a country uses and how much problems that country develops. No, we can't really say that, oh, this and that country did this and now they have so much more problems, for instance. It's really tough to point at one component because there's likely tens if not hundreds of different factors within a country that will decide whether or not they'll have increased or decreased rates of substance misuse. Because a lot of it connects to, you know, social welfare, for instance, and how psychologically well the population is, rates of childhood abuse, and so on and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's really tough to say that, oh, we, we made cannabis legal now and everything got better. Well, I mean, it might be because of the change, uh, or it might be because you did a lot of other changes. You implemented mm. other social welfare strategies. You might given kids free access to gyms and swimming pools and social activities. Hashtag of, Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> Iceland win. Yeah. Well, actually, that's a really good point. I suppose what that potentially suggests is that a better way to measure the effectiveness of policy is to pick out the proportions of your population which you'd be expecting to be at greater risk of experiencing problems with cannabis and look at the effect of legalisation on them rather than looking at the effect on the whole population say well actually these are the people that we'd be concerned about their cannabis use like you're saying the people with conduct disorder childhood sexual abuse things like that and see are they actually now is this encouraging them into heavy use into dependence um, and uh, are rates of psychosis going up in this population because otherwise, it, I guess it could be masked if um, just people who aren't, who don't have these risk factors, like you're saying, L, people just start using it for the novelty factor. Yeah. That could be masking some of the effects on the more at-risk groups. So yeah, that that's a good point, Amir. I'm interested in that. I think cool. we should take that forward. I mean, maybe we should even be applying that to prohibition because under the system of prohibition, we can see that the people, that a lot of people are suffering cannabis dependence and like Amir was saying, a lot of people are heavily using very strong cannabis. Voltfast, um, who's a policy hub, have recently released a report called Black Sheep, which is looking at cannabis treatment in the UK. And they've found that new presentations among adults for cannabis treatment have risen by 55% between 2005 and 2014. So we obviously, in the UK, prohibition isn't an approach which is helping health. And so I guess, like Elle was saying, that whilst there are a a lot of different options and everyone's at the moment looking to America for this commercialised approach, I mean, that also, from what we've talked about today, also seems like it might not be best for health. But I do think there's a good argument for taking some of these other steps, certainly for decriminalising cannabis use, um, it doesn't seem like that's a step which would necessarily increase use. But, you know, allowing personal cultivation, th- any kind of measures which could bring down the strength of THC, take the market out of the hands of criminals, um, and also start to give some control over what's happening in the market seem to be good. I mean, regulation is where the government is in control of it, something which I think is really unlikely to happen, given the current government in England and a lot of other countries. But it does seem like a system where you're... You know, you're able to put in health measures which you haven't had otherwise. But obviously, there's always outcomes that you might not expect from changing in policy. So, Elle and I have previously advocated to people, you know, doing it in a series of steps. So, at least decriminalizing it at first, seeing how that goes, allowing personal cultivation, and then heading towards regulation. And I mean, I think that this fits with what the current research on cannabis use is saying that it would be a positive step for the health of people who are using cannabis. 
And those are the people that we should be thinking of. Great sum up, Lindsay. So that's the end of another episode of What's the Crack? This one on cannabis legalization. Again, if you want to get in touch, we've got a Twitter, which is What the Crack Pod. And if you want to start a discussion or ask any questions, we've got a hashtag crackpod idea. If you loved what Amir was talking about today or just wanted to get in contact with Amir, he's also on Twitter with the handle at Amir England with U instead of A. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm so right. Um, Also, if you were uh, interested in uh, what we were talking about, our stepped approach with cannabis right at the end, uh, we all put uh, our pitch in the description of the podcast. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, why not? We'll put links to everything on ACAST. Yeah, put links to absolutely everything. Great. And next week is on minimum unit pricing. And we have our guest, Sadie. 